Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hi guys, this is Fei Wu from Face World Podcast. As you guys know, I've been live streaming all my podcast episodes with my guests. And I think it literally is one of the best decisions I've made related to my podcast in 2020. So today I have a very special group of people joining me. They are Chris Vaz and his team members from the Black Swan Group, specifically Brandon Vaz, whom we have interviewed on the show. But also I met Derek Gaunt for the first time. Now, Brandon and Derek both are part of the A-team of uh, Black Swan Group. And together, when I say that, it means the three of them together will coach these really large programs, in-person workshops. But at times, Brandon and Derek will also lead their individual sessions. What I mean by that is, um, you know, Brandon has been working with clients one-on-one and um, Derek, as I've learned very recently, has been coaching a lot of different clients and different organizations as well. So I have to say that I am so blessed and so spoiled because Chris not only brought himself into this conversation, but also you know, led it with his team. And I noticed during the conversation, which you'll find out that he's really good at navigating the conversation and be able to bounce different questions to different people, uh, in this case, Brandon and Derek. So I tried with another experiment. So if you come to my website, phaseworld.com forward slash events, events with an S, you're able to see a long list of live stream events. And this one, as you're listening to it, you know, if you scroll down, you're going to see a an image with, with all four of us, you know, three of them, including myself, um, in an image. So it's just uh, so liberating to be able to share this because I decided to turn this live stream into a webinar. That's right. So I used Zoom to set up a webinar and I started promoting the event about a month beforehand. Honestly, I was like, who is going to show up for this? I mean, I love the team, but will people show up to them because of me? You know, Chris and his team are very active on the world stage of leadership and negotiation. So I titled the conversation, this conversation to be how to demonstrate leadership virtually and develop a mindset of negotiation. This was held originally on September 10th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They showed up and boom, I had 45 people who registered for the event. And the crazy part is, um, you know, we when we kicked it off, we had close to 40 people. And towards the end of the conversation, we still had the same amount of people. I was so blown away. So I just want to share this moment with you guys. And if you are a creative entrepreneur like myself, you have to experiment new things. And I don't mean fancy, fancy things, you know, I don't know, just such as downloading the Vimeo Studio 6, which totally confused me. 
But I did it a very simple way. I use whatever's built into Zoom, in this case, webinar. And the only thing I would change, and for your information, is I would always, always use, when you have multiple people as part of an interview, I would always use the gallery view and not a speaker view, which something that I neglected and forgot. So I'm definitely going to do a video to teach you guys how to do that. Uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure it's already there. But as a host for a Zoom webinar, you want to make sure that either you use um, change the setting to the right-hand side, make sure that either your participants or your attendees will follow your view or they simply look at the gallery view. The reason why this is so critical for interviews is because when somebody's answering the question, I realized and heard from other people that it's so much more engaging to also see other people's faces and their expressions as well, not just the speaker view. That's all. So uh, it's a pretty long rant. And please know how much I appreciate you for being here. It means so much. I am, you know, recording this as of September and the pandemic is still not over. So if you're home, I hope that you choose to do something creative, uh, whether it's a podcast, starting your YouTube channel, showing us how you cook, what you're cooking and making to feed your family, um, the smiles of um, everyone and just you know, continue to live your life uh, despite the pandemic. So I hope, I, I know that we'll come out of this stronger than we were before. And I hope this conversation is beneficial for you on a personal, professional, and organizational level. So, so much love and please be in touch. And I can be reached at FaceWorld, F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, pretty much anywhere. And I'll see you at the end of the show. Chris, Derek, Brennan, if you don't mind, I'm just going to kick it off and uh, let's have some fun. All right. Yeah. Yay. So, hi, everyone. This is Fable from Face World. I am seriously overjoyed right now. I'm so happy, a little bit nervous. Uh, this is the first webinar I'm doing not only with Chris, but the A-team, Brendan Voss. I had a pleasure to interview once before and Derek Gaunt whose book I'm listening right now on Audible. I've been doing that for a week. And Chris, I've met several times in person in my documentary, my favorite masterclass on masterclass. Highly recommend you check it out. Um, in fact, I know somebody among the audience member participants right now watch your masterclass twice already. So yeah, and everybody- I heard, you know, and speaking of Derek's book, I heard that the guy that read it has a lisp. Is that true? <laughs> I, I was I was telling Derek he has such an incredible voice. I thought, you know, are you like an you know like an opera singer or something with such a like such a voice? I love listening to. It's so easy. Not the case with every author. It's one of many things that I hate about him. How good. <laughs> All right, guys. So in case you're not familiar with their work, I, you know, I know everybody who's attending this webinar is pretty much. But um, if you're watching this on social media, on my YouTube channel, Facebook, uh, I don't know, Twitter. Well, they, you know, Chris founded the Black Swan Group, uh, this company I've been following for a long time. I love, love the blog section. They have a wonderful services section as well. A lot of my colleagues, people I'm connected with on LinkedIn everywhere have attended their live workshops and they're absolutely in love with this. And I'm such a, this is such a privilege to have the entire team here. And um, uh, so we're going to kind of freestyle. There are a lot of questions 
Thank you guys for submitting them. We'll go through them for the first 40 minutes. And if you guys have more questions, we'll leave, you know, 15, 20 minutes in the end. And, um, and just so you guys can drop more questions in the chat. So welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for having us. I appreciate the, uh, the invite. Yeah, it's just so wonderful. I'm going to throw the first question out there. Everybody's desperate in uh, just asking this question because I notice you have, uh, this audience has a lot of discipline. Everybody's trying to practice negotiation on a regular basis. And the first challenge since the pandemic earlier this year is that people sort of lost touch with that daily practice. They really want to know, like how I, I saw examples, how to negotiate at Starbucks, how to negotiate with a, a travel vendor or agency. But what's your advice right now in the pandemic that people can continue to hone in on their skills and practice their negotiation skills at home? Well, you know, we use it with everybody we communicate with. We use it with each other. I mean, one of the questions that we all get a lot is, you know, what if you're up against a black swan train negotiator? You know, and, and that's fine. I mean, you know, Brandon asked me all the time, is, this, is it a ridiculous idea? Uh, you know, are you against? Um, Derek asked me all the time, I can't believe how stupid you are. Stuff like that. I mean, we're... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's going to be one of those days. But yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Am I crazy? No, no I, I think you're, you're right on the money. I mean, we... Every opportunity to communicate is an opportunity to practice. And, you know, as of late, one of the ways we've been directing people is if you're still paying utilities, right? You got utility bills. Those are great people to call up and, and use your skills on and, and get your bills down, right? That's one perfect way to practice. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing is the foundation, where this stuff came from, the world of hostage and crisis negotiation. 95% of the jobs that we did were on the phone. We weren't having, we didn't have contact, physical contact with the people that we were dealing with. So the fact that people are out of their normal environments and they don't have that regular human to human contact should not diminish the opportunities that they have to practice the skills via Zoom calls or via regular phone calls. The environment has just changed slightly, but this is, the, all of our stuff is predicated on hostage negotiation and we were rarely ever face to face. Mm. Yeah, my, I love that. Thank you for clarifying. So everybody who's watching, you know, start negotiating, start practicing right away. And, you know, there's one question I love, which came from uh, Adam, which is, which are the skills that you teach? Uh, do people generally find most difficult to learn and why? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to hear what Derek has to say on this, because I got a couple of ideas. Derek, you know, what, what's, what's your perspective? Uh, I think you know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the accusations audit. Yeah. Hands down, the most effective skill that we have, the most potent, the most powerful, hands down, the most difficult to absorb and execute. Simply because when you talk about the black swan skills being counterintuitive and being awkward, um, the accusations audit is awkwardness on steroids. And because you're pointing a negative light back at yourself. And when you point a negative light at yourself, you're making yourself uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, what you want more than anything else is to be comfortable again. So that's where we find a significant amount of the pushback is with the accusations audits because it's hard 
to take that negative light and point it at yourself and saying, this is what you're probably thinking about me. And it's all negative stuff. And so getting people to overcome that discomfort and execute anyway is probably the biggest challenge. Yeah. Good brand. Yeah, I, there's nothing Derek said that I would disagree with. However, I'm going to give you the classic negotiator's answer as far as what's <laughs> hardest to learn. It depends. <laughs> and a lot of it just depends on the individual. And so if you're part of the group that has read the book and have started trying to execute on your own, the thing that really is like the sticking point is probably the accusations audit. But if you're a novice and you're just getting into it and you're just starting to learn, people really struggle with labels and, and really on the side of executing them at their highest degree. You know, like surface labels are, are pretty easy for people to wrap their mind around. Seems like price is important to you, right? But being able to construct a label that actually identifies the motivation behind how they got to this price point, that's a little bit more difficult. Labeling things that aren't actually said in the negotiation you know, is, 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 is tough. It's, 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 it's a hard thing. And it, again, just takes practice, but yeah, it, you know, it depends. It depends on what, who they are or how, how much knowledge they have and, and what they deal with. Yeah. Chris, do you want, do you want to add anything else? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, there's so much on it depends, you know, situation drive strategy, like Brandon likes to say, where are you in your journey? Mm -hmm. um, labels are one of the first things to get over the hump with. You get to labels and depend upon how comfortable you are with calling out negatives and then being proactive. And that, that leads right into the accusations audit, you know, the fear of that. I mean, probably the fear there is the biggest. That, the, mm -hmm. That's the single biggest fear-based obstacle there. And simultaneously, if you're getting good at labels, making a jump from labels into summary is hard. Because, you know, we're, and we teach people really hard, you know, to go silent, go dead silent. We used to call it effective pauses and never split the difference. Book we got coming out collaboratively, Brandon and I and a couple of other people are working on um, in, in the spring. It'll be out late spring, early, early summer. Um, we're changing effective pauses to dynamic silence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting people to go dead silent. Like some people feel like they're going to burst into flames before they could go dead silent. Well, then if we get you there, then we want to teach you summary. And summary is firing everything. Summary is just letting go with everything. And that's no dead silence at all. So it's kind of where are you in your journey? And each, each step of the way is going to take you to a new level of the game. You know, it's, a, it's like a game. And, uh, and it's all fun. As soon as you embrace how much fun it could be, it's really cool. Hmm. So funny. My friend, uh, Michael O'Brien, also part of my mastermind group, really likes Brendan's jacket, first of all. I think he looks exceptionally handsome today. Um, hey, 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 thank you. Oh, hey, sorry, hey, Chris. Hey, you are... <laughs> Take it easy. Um, and uh, I agree, silence is the toughest thing for me to practice as well as for for Michael there, um, I remember going through an exercise as part of L10BA uh, by Seth Godin. And I remember that before we respond to anything, we have to count to five seconds or three seconds. They felt like hours. Um, how It was very awkward, a lot of resistance. So how do you practice? Like, how do you give yourself that patience? Oh, that's your brain. 
Well, you know, it's a similar philosophy. You know, we we talk about people counting Mississippis or counting 1,000s. But exactly to your point, I mean, it's creating an intentional void in the conversation is difficult to sit in. And that's really what it's designed to do. If you set up your dynamic silence properly, ideally it reveals a black swan at the same time. But that's that's exactly, that is very hard. And counting is, is one of the great mechanisms to kind of keep yourself in your chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very hard. I mean, I remember since the pandemic, like washing your, even washing your hands while singing happy birthday, those 15, 20 seconds just feel so long when you actually measure it. So Wait a minute, you, what do you do when you wash your hands? What do you sing? <laughs> are you supposed to, are we supposed to all sing happy birthday like two times <laughs> to make sure that it's <laughs> 20 seconds? Um, <laughs> yeah, I am so proud. I have such a huge smile on my face because my next door neighbor, Eric and Laurel, also watching this. And uh, Laurel submitted a ton of questions, one of which I was thinking, wow, it's, it's true. I mean, I can unfold that question into many parts especially as as a woman, as women, sometimes when you negotiate for yourself is particularly difficult, whether it's negotiating time to be doing your own, working on your own projects so that your kids need to kind of hang out on their own, especially during the pandemic, or negotiating for your own, for a promotion, for a raise. A lot of women left comments to say, that is particularly challenging. Do you have any tactics to kind of go about that and, and the mindset of negotiation? Yeah, I'm thinking this this one's Dex. I mean, he's he's doing a lot more of the individual coaching than anybody else is right now. So, um, Derek, what do you think? Problematic is many women get in their own way. Their 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 mindset is such that they create obstacles that aren't really there. Some of the best negotiators on my previous team back in my law enforcement days, I don't know if you can see this, so I got some of their pictures up on the wall. The, the top three negotiators on my team were all women. And once you get over the fear of failure, the sky's the limit. And that's what made these three, because let's, let's face the facts, there are terrible negotiators on both sides of the gender coin. Um, but these these three women were not afraid to fail. They took what was taught to them and they went out and they executed and let the consequences be whatever they are. And those are going to be the most successful negotiators, regardless of what side of the gender coin they're on. Are you fearless? If you're fearless, you'll go out and apply. You stumble, you chalk it up to experience and you move on. And, and once you... Once you get that mindset, the game changes for you. Once you stay in the position where you are genuinely curious about what's going on with the other side, and that's another skill, trait, characteristic that they all had. They, they were genuinely curious. They wanted to know more. They went into the conversation assuming they had something to learn. And so that is how I would encourage you to look at every difficult conversation, every negotiation. And that goes across the board. It doesn't matter if you're man or woman. Stay genuinely curious. If you stay genuinely curious, your fear factor will diminish rapidly and you will be able, you'll have, your mind will be more open to seeing the entire landscape from the other person's perspective. 
I feel very excited, but also very comfortable at the same time. I, you know, when, when people were asking me that you're going to be on the call with three, you know, professional negotiators and interviewing them, there is part of me, to be honest, Derek, I'm thinking, like, I really try not to sound like a complete idiot, like during this, am I even qualified to be talking to you? I read Chris's book two years ago. Should I go back and study some of those elements? There are definitely a lot of self-doubts um, that comes with that. But like you said, if I just relax and knowing that I'm here to learn, I'm not here to be an expert. Um, that definitely feels a lot better. Um, there's, there's an added question, actually two questions coming in already. Um, so a lot of us, a lot of people working in corporate right now, and by the way, you're just joining the, this webinar. I want to say that th this conversation will help you on a personal, professional, and organizational level. So we're going to answer questions uh, really on, on this whole spectrum, this scope. Um, so another question is, that we find ourselves on the phone all the time. And that's why I named this virtual leadership. It's very different kind of leadership and engagement with your audience um, or with your colleagues. So, um, you know, for example, it's, uh, Laura found herself to have to slow down when she speaks to uh, someone, whether it's a customer or maybe her colleagues um, whose first language isn't English. There's a time difference. Um, you know, she has to pace down among the team. Uh, she finds it that it can be hard when one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations where you feel like there's a lot of silence and you have to fill in the blank. What would you recommend for that? I see you smiling, Brian. Well, there's, there's a couple. I got a lot of things coming to mind. And, and you know, I just I want to jump back into the mindset thing just real quick, take a couple steps back. I think where people in general tend to kind of lose themselves is when you go into a negotiation hoping things go well. And the mindset needs to be expecting problems. And it gives you a huge leg up when you go in like, all right, things are going to go wrong, and then I'm going to use a tactical empathy skill to get out of it, which is one of the great things about why they're built the way they are. And then going to the virtual side, it is very difficult. And I think one of the things that we found is maintaining relationships virtually is much easier than starting a brand new relationship virtually. Starting straight fresh in a virtual environment is very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Trying to cultivate that from the ground up is extremely hard. And so filling, filling the voids of silence, well, again, it depends, right? Sometimes those, those silences are needed. And then what's great about the skill like labels, which is probably our most flexible skill as far as the way it can be applied to different aspects of the communication. You can always say, it seems like I'm off base or it seems like I'm taking us in the wrong direction or seems like I might've made you uncomfortable. You know, you can always throw those in to fill that silence to kind of get things going again. Hmm. I love that. Wow. I love how balanced everything is. Like this is this is such a well-oiled machine. Like I've been on webinars where people are constantly talking to each other, like debating. This is amazing. Um, you, want, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go as a team. We got a heck of a team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Nisreen, uh, Nisreen asked, like, can someone maybe talk a little bit deeper about the power of hearing the other side out? on a psychological um, level and in terms of the progression that can cause in a negotiation. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, well, you know, hearing the other side out, it, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. 
But the more you're heard, the person being heard is, is starting to get hits of some magical stuff. You know, dopamine and serotonin. I mean, we're, we're talking uh, almost all of our conversations at some point in time these days about our skills. We don't talk about psychology. We talk about neuroscience. We talk about the neurochemicals that drive human behavior and create your reactions. And you start to, you start to get hit, hurt out. Um, you know, there's, there's, you feel releases. These are, these are chemical changes. These are dopamine and serotonin. You're very encouraged by that. You start getting attached to the person. Uh, at some point in time, if you hear somebody out well enough, they'll discover something in what they said based on your feedback. You know, just hearing them out, summarizing. It's this summary thing that I was talking about earlier. Now, when we wrote the book the first time through, you know, me and Brandon and Tal Raz wrote that book together. Um, you know, Tal talked about that when somebody says that's right, it's an, uh, you know, they've experienced an epiphany. So I look up epiphany, what sort of neurochemicals are released when you experience an epiphany? And among them are oxytocin. Oxytocin is the bonding drug. It's how, it's what mothers feel bonded to their children. It's what followers feel bonded to great leaders. Then once they get bonded to a, a leader, th- despite all sorts of evidence to the contrary, they will never give up on that leader. They will always believe in them. That's an oxytocin event. You, when you get a that's right out of somebody from, from having fully heard them out and then repeated it back to them so that the only thing they could possibly say as a response is that's right. They've just experienced an epiphany. They're bonded to you. That's the maximum amount of influence you could ever have. And, that, and that's why Derek and I, when we were hostage negotiators, we didn't know what was going on, but we knew if we heard a bad guy out, he was going to come out. You know, and we didn't know what was exactly. And, and the bad guys would get so bonded to us that SWAT would see them bonded to us and always think that we were bonded to them. And, you know, we cared about them, but the worry about the negotiator getting, you know, stockholmed to the bad guy, the negotiator would always go like, what? No, what are you, what are you guys talking about? Now that we have a clearer understanding in these days, you know, the oxytocin event occurred, the, the bad guy got bonded to us. You hear somebody out, they, you get a good, solid five-star, that's right, out of them. They are bonded to you, which then leaves you in a position of tremendous influence. Tremendous, you know, and you got to be careful with that because of the amount of influence you had. But that's what happens when somebody is fully heard out they feel bonded to the person that heard them out. And, and guys, what do you think? And, and did I talk that in circles? Am I off base? No, I, I think you're right, right in line. And sorry, please go ahead, Derek. No, that's what I was going to say. You're right in line. It was a, it was a, um, a scientific infused way of saying people love to have other people understand what they're going through and that, cheapest and most effective concession you can make is just to listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I read in your book most recently, Derek, uh, you know, it's about listening and it's not really about providing a solution right away, which I think it's a most common mistakes. I, I see myself making a lot of people making in a mastermind situation where you hear a problem, you want to immediately relate to that problem and then offer your own solution, which 
maybe irrelevant in, in some ways, even though you're trying to be helpful. Right. So I love yeah, that. So, I sometimes they just want you to sit back and listen. Mm-hmm. And then your, your listening takes care of the negative emotions and dynamics that they've attached to the situation. And when you start to diminish those negative emotions and dynamics that they've attached to the situation, they're more accepting of your solutions and your ideas when it's time. Mm-hmm. Often we get the, the, uh, the sequencing in reverse where we want to lay out the solution at the beginning of the conversation and they're not ready to hear it yet. And so it's just, it's just a matter of hearing them out, returning them to a normal functioning level so that they can hear what the right way to fix the problem is. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. It's not a metaphor. It's a, real, it's a real situation. You said, I can sell jail time. And they will always take it. If you could sell jail time, I mean, you could really sell anything. Almost um, anything, yep. And there's a really interesting question. I was like, wow, this is a good one from uh, Marcel. So she works at GoDaddy. Thanks for revealing the company. Um, but the, not just GoDaddy, a lot of companies would say that the common objection or the common answer you get is, let me think about it. Let me think about it or I'll get back to you. And makes the other side feels like I'm not being heard. There probably will be no further uh, actions or next steps related to that. I hear that often too from some clients, from prospects. So um, how do you like dissect that or take that? Hey, Brian, I know you're on top of that one. Well, there's, there's, there's actually a couple different ways that you can approach it. I mean, as everybody's already figured out, my favorite skill is labels. And that you, there's, there's always a way to label your way out of or into any situation. But another, another potential move here is this proof of life idea. You know, it's, it's a fairly new idea. We, we allude to it in the book, but don't go into great detail. And if you haven't done a proof of life up to that point and you get a, I'll get back to you or let me think about it, that's probably a very primed moment to be using that skill. And the, the purpose of it is how do we get the other side to state our value proposition? And it's the only time that we would suggest using a why question in negotiation. And it's simply, you know, why us? It's a lot of people you could have talked to. You know, it's a big industry. Why us? Mm -hmm. Mm. I love these, you know, common, I I love what we're talking about here because sometimes some people say, well, it seems like common sense. Even Chris, you write about like, it seems like common sense, but common sense isn't always common practice, often isn't common practice. And that's why I really enjoy about your teaching. So um, I also personally find, and I don't know about people who are watching this, the fact that since I saw the launch of Masterclass, I was very excited. And some people said, please ask Chris about Masterclass. And to see a friend, um, a mentor on Masterclass is this whole new meaning. And it was so well executed. So Chris, could you share maybe a bit about that? And because for me, it was another opportunity after meeting Brendan, you know, reading your book, um, knowing your coaching, they just, I feel like it really took me to the next level um, as well. So. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of things about masterclass that were a lot of fun. And, you know, when, when, and when they approached this, I mean, first of all, it was an important negotiation. We negotiated as a team. Um, I engaged every step of the way with Brandon. Uh, I am always better uh, as a wingman with a wingman. If it's important, 
the two of us are on the phone together. We're working together. So we turned Masterclass down three times. And we meant it every single time. Like when we say no, we mean no. We just say it nicely. You know, we don't call people names. You know, the Brits have a saying, you can be as rude as you want as long as you're polite about it. You know, we're polite. And, and there were significant problems in each step of the way with the agreement. And we were like, oh, cool. We understand why you guys want that. You're entitled to want that. You've got all the reasons, your business model. And it just doesn't work for us. So thanks for the offer. Every time we turn them down, we turn them down really nicely. We meant that it was not a tactic. It was not meant to get a better deal. And they came back and they kept working to improve the deal. Finally, we ended up in a, a direct conversation, uh, Brandon and I. And um, I, was my on the phone with, uh, with David Rogier, the founder, the same time we did that? I think she, she was. She was, yeah. She was part of that conversation. Yeah, you know, we pull, we pull our core team together. And we're on the phone with the masterclass founder, David Rogier. Wonderful guy. And we laid out the problem. And he was like, oh, yeah, I can fix that. He was the only one in the company with the authority to fix that. But yeah, I can fix that. So we fixed it and we cut the deal. Now they are all in. Um, you know, they come to one of our trainings, they do the work. They did a massive amount of work. They committed sharp, sharp people to pull it together. They gave us the opportunity to edit. And then when we got ready to, to shoot, I get, you know, it was like being on a set of a movie. And it's, you feel wonderful. Now, now they're very smart about it. They got to get this thing in the can in two days and they got to keep me energized the entire time. How do you keep somebody energized? You treat them like a king. You assign somebody to walk around with them. I got, I got an assistant going everywhere with me except the bathroom. But that is keeping me from making a single decision all day long because in point of fact, every human being suffers from decision fatigue. Mm. You can only make so many decisions in a given day. They don't need me burning up my mental capacity trying to decide whether or not I want ice in my water. They are scampering and getting me everything. They give me coffee. If I even look like I want something, they're running and getting it for me. But they're keeping me sharp the entire time. It was like being on a movie set. There were 50 people there. It was a movie set. But they're that committed to doing stuff right. So been happy with them every step of the way. Um, and it's insane how, what a value a masterclass subscription is. I mean, it's, it's insane how valuable that thing is. So very happy with it. The other thing that's cool about it, we found out that it's super popular with women. And it's the first time we've seen a negotiation product out there that's skewed heavily in favor of women. Normally, it frustrates the hell out of us because we believe that women ultimately are better negotiators than men are. But we can't get them to buy the negotiation products at the same level and found out that uh, that massive skewing in the direction of women. You know, one of the things I read that, you know, the Bobby Brown makeup class is the most common class to be viewed before mine. Now, I'm assuming that women are watching the makeup class, although that's not entirely true all the time. But, yeah, it's cool that it resonates so much with women. That's so cool. That's so cool. I got I got one follow up question and uh, regarding masterclasses. Uh, you were the whole execution was so seamless, and I know there's some editing involved, but 
you also talk for a long time, not just you, anybody who joined masterclass. It's like pouring their life work out on the you know, surface. And did you find yourself super fluent with every chapter, every point of view, uh, tactics, or how much of that is scripted versus kind of freestyle? No, they, you know, we put a lot of prep into it. Now, I don't know if they're adjusting for me or the way that they uh, do with everyone, but, you know, they want to give you a lot of structure and a lot of room to be spontaneous. So, you know, we worked on the lessons. They, they came to one of our trainings. They asked us a lot of questions. They immersed themselves. We had a couple of meetings with them. You know, Brandon and I sat down with them a couple of times. You know, they worked to get it like 85% right and then prompt as much spontaneity in the moment as possible. And, mm. and so we, we went with it. I think they did it. You know, I'm really, I'm really happy with the job that they did. Yeah. It is incredible. Um, I love it. I feel like I need to watch it again after this. So, um, all right. So, well, going back to, uh, there are a lot of questions are pouring in and um, I'm super thrilled because there's a large uh, portion of my audience in particular on YouTube who are watching this right now are dance and fitness instructors who got hit hard during the pandemic. If you imagine someone who work full-time getting close to what would they consider as a full-time salary to all of a sudden gyms closing down their home and I'm teaching them everything from Zoom to audio, uh, video uh, tactics. So Francie, who I've been following, who's a fitness instructor said, how does negotiation apply to business building? Um, She is a dance instructor, as in beyond the sales piece. um, What would you recommend? How do I negotiate and attract new people to my products, services, and brand and stand out from the competition? Yeah, Brandon, I'm thinking that's you, man, because you're building our business with these tactics, with these approaches. Yeah, well, just just like anything else, any other business, I mean, marketing and sales go hand in hand. And so uh, very much like sales in marketing, yes-oriented questions like to be asked. Like, don't you want to get better? Don't you want to change your life? You know, right? Uh, Just a series of yeses. And one of the small adjustments that we made here at Black Swan, I think it applies across the board of marketing, is have no questions. Change your yes-oriented questions to a question that requires a no answer from the potential customer. And we've, we've been able to show on paper that the data is, in fact, better in the response to no-oriented questions, even from a marketing side when someone looks at an ad. And so that would be the first place I'd want to go. You know, just how, how are you displaying your message and what adaptations are you using for the moment at hand? Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we using, like, have you given up on getting better at? All those things. All yeah. those things. Mm. Yeah, to, to share more. And I, I would personally add to that as well is to be seen, to be known. Um, and I look at the work Black Swan has done. And it's crazy. Like, people, contacts I've lost in touch with, someone would say, Afei, I I thought I'd give you a call because I'm currently at, you know, Derek's workshop. I am listening to Chris right now. I'm learning from Brandon and it's just mind-blowing. And some of them did listen to the podcast and learn more about the company. But some of that certainly are, you know, as a result of uh, blogging. And I encourage everyone to take a look. Go to Black Swan um, website and we have all the descriptions. You know, I even linked the URL, the blog section uh, right there in wherever you're watching this. And there's so much work that goes into the curation of high quality content 
and how the content is interrelated and connected. I find myself, you know, usually reading one blog post, be like, what is tactical empathy? And there will be a separate a call to action and link so I can learn more about that. So I think there's a lot that you could all learn about just how marketing strategies and how marketing works uh, for Black Swan. Yeah, and I actually got a question I just thought of as, as we were working our way through that nor into question that as anybody can use it wherever they feel is necessary. But are you going to let the pandemic stop your progress? Mm-hmm. Here's the link to my virtual dance session, right? That would be that would be an example of something like we would use in our market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I definitely have heard that from fitness instructors in particular is the accountability piece. And someone even said, I don't care if you want to go to another instructor, do something different in your basement, but I'm here to keep you accountable because fitness and health are just above and beyond like what's, you know, what's even, what's more important than that. So I love that. So I, I'm going to hop around because people have different questions right now. I'm going to go to Minson who also sent me a ton of questions and uh, one that he shared just now uh, that he found himself in a situation where he was heavily emotionally anchored. Um, and uh, with an accusation, accusation audit, and the other person blew up. And how do I know to find the balance and not paint too bad of a picture with the accusation audit so the conversation won't go downhill? Wow. Wow. So, Chris, if I may. So, characterizing it as a conversation going downhill might not be very accurate. The response that you got from your counterpart may not have been a response that you wanted, but it is definitely a response that he felt that he needed to share, right? And so part of our moving them to a normal functioning level is to have them vent, have them dump their buckets. And if they explode at you over an accusations audit, you should be proud of yourself because you hit it right on the, on the nose, And again, going back to what we talked about earlier, people want other people to understand what they're going through. And if you use the accusation audit properly, you verbalize something that he had yet to speak into the air, which puts you in the position of being almost a mind reader. And yes, you may throw out an accusations audit and it unloads uh, or it uncorks a torrent of vitriol from the other side. That's great. All you have to do is hold on 45 seconds to a minute. Unless you're dealing with an out-and-out sociopath, they, can't, they won't be able to sustain it that long. Sit in your chair, take it. Once it starts to diminish, you apologize. And then you stay in the moment to find out what caused the reaction. You apologize. It sounds like something. I'm sorry. It sounds like I really underestimated how important this was to you. What caused that reaction? Those three techniques in a row will allow you to find out exactly what's motivating behavior. See, most of us, we get wrapped around the axle on the statement or the behavior. And to Brandon's earlier point, we don't go after what's motivating the statement or behavior. If somebody explodes at you like that, they're telling you something is very important to them. They're telling you that you're not picking it up. It's very important to them. Uh, or they're under tremendous pressure. You have to stay in the moment to figure out which one it is. Most of us want to pivot out of that moment because when we get blasted like that, we want to immediately change the topic uh, because 
it was an, an, an adverse response. And I'm telling you, you need to stay right there because that emotion is not going to go away until you identify it and you articulate that recognition. Chris? Yeah, amen. Stay in the moment. And the only other thing that I could think possibly too is, like if, you act, if, if there was an explosion, was your accusations all that you probably feel or I don't want you to feel? You know, how, how, did, how, how were you tuning it up? Um, making sure, and as Derek said, you know, if you're delivering it properly, uh, how you tee up each one of those emotions really is critical. You probably feel there's a way to go with it as opposed to I don't want you to feel. The denial is, you know, is gasoline on the flame. Yeah, and actually, I'd love to add just another piece to that as well. You know, being Aaron on the side of the glass being half full, one of the wonderful things about someone jumping in to correct you like that with gusto is it also means that they're being extremely honest with you. And it's a great way if you're trying to force honesty or you're trying to reveal honesty at the table, rest assured when someone is in that state, they're being very truthful with you. There is no lie in what they say. Mm. Oh, I could just feel like my blood pressure is uh, like, you know, going from very excited just to hearing you talk. It's a, uh, very soothing. And definitely I find that it, even for me as a content creator, as an interviewer, sometimes when I hear the other side slow down or um, that who could potentially be arguing with me, I definitely find myself wanting to jump in and, you know, kind of half breath in and, and rushing through. And um, But I think I need to practice a little bit more too while we're going live. And um, uh, so here's another question uh, from Michael. Uh, for all panelists here, uh, can we hear more on what team negotiation looks like? Any basic pillars of the philosophy on that topic of teamwork, especially in the online space? That's a Dr. Gaunt question right there. He, he, is, he is our resident team expert and is constantly coaching corporation, corporate teams to, to operate more effectively. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I'll take exception to the resident expert because I think that uh, all of us have chipped in to flesh out what it looks like to use the Black Swan method as a part of the team. But a couple of things I wanted to mention. First of all, uh, what Chris said earlier: you want to go alone, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go as a team. You should be, you should keep that mantra in the back of your head anytime you engage in a difficult conversation, whether you're in person or whether you're virtual. Understand that. The world that we came from, it was all about the team. And so what does that look like in a corporate environment? You should have your primary negotiator, your number one, your primary talker. That talker should be uh, assisted by a wingman, a coach, if you will, a secondary negotiator. You should have someone on the call who's there just to listen and take notes so that you can debrief the call after the fact. And you should have, for lack of a better term, a team leader who's flying at about 20,000 feet above everything else that's going on, offering input and suggestion. The primary dialogue is with the primary negotiator. The coach's job is to pick up on things of import that the primary negotiator 
is invariably going to miss. You're going to be so engaged in the conversation that they, they're just, they're, you're a human. Things are going to get by you. And the coach's job is to label those important things that you miss. What do we say? Every third to fourth turn in the, in the speaking, the coach should be offering a label. Outside of that, the primary negotiator handles the dialogue. Equally important is the listener and the scribe. If you are not debriefing your calls, Zoom or otherwise, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're, make, you're doing some things that are right on the call. You're making mistakes on the call. You need to keep track of both so that when you get on future calls, the mistakes you make are not going to be mistakes that you've already made. They're going to be brand new ones. You're going to make mistakes on the call. But again, operating as a team is just a smarter way to work. And that's what I believe in, working smart, not working hard. You want to work hard? Go in by yourself. Now, there, resources, time, personnel may, may preclude you from having an entire team with you. You should have at least another pair of ears in the room to pick up on those things that you're likely to miss. What did I miss there, Brandon? I, well, I don't think you really missed anything. I, I, the only thing I would probably add is one small nuance around the team dynamic is the coach for all intents and purposes is really the linchpin of the team. And um, we actually would, will suggest with a lot of our corporate clients that your most versed individual in tactical empathy, right? Whoever's got the best grasp of the skills needs to be in the coach's seat, which is counterintuitive. You would think you'd want that person to be the primary. And actually that person should be the coach and your second best person should be your primary. And then more so if there's information that the primary needs, it never goes directly to the primary negotiator. They got enough to worry about trying to listen and keep up and pay attention and formulate their next skill. All information runs through the coach. The coach really handles a lot of the activity that's going on, which is why they need to be the linchpin. Hmm. I love this approach. It's such a, a team <laughs> team event happening right now. And um, I just saw a comment from Gustavo Serafini, a big shout out, who someone, a dear friend of mine who joined your uh, workshop. He said one of the best lessons he learned from uh, Derek is don't just get defensive when people get angry. It's not about you, it's about them. And it means so much. I'm not going to embarrass Gustavo on the call right now, but your coaching meant so much to him and really transformed his organization. So really thank you for that. Yeah, and it changed his thought process because he's he's contacted me subsequent to that with some very um, profound questions based on the state of the world today. So he, his thought process has changed. So good for him. Awesome. And I saw Mark raise his hand. Mark, if you don't mind sending us a, a question via Q&A or in the comment, I'll be sure to pass that along. So while you do that, um, we have another question from Dean Cooper. The Black Swan approach is based on nine tools and techniques. Based on what you have learned in the past few years, if you could have a 10th, what would it be? <laughs> now, I, I don't know that we'd add a 10th. I mean, we're combining the skills in different ways. Um, and, you know, we're, we're evolving them. You know, our calibrated questions has got a, a new subset that we refer to as thought-shaping questions, but that's finding a way to ask a how or what question and add in an emotional 
you know, an element to deactivate a negative emotion in the same question. So I don't know that we'd add any new skills. We're combining them in some really interesting ways. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I don't, it's, that's a tough one. And, and one, of the, one of the conclusions we've come to, and this was a few years back, is if we continue to add to the list, it won't be long before it's like the negotiation 1500. You know, it's just that the list is just way too long. And as a lot of you probably already noticed, right, accusations audit is something we talk about all the time and is not technically on the negotiation nine list. And so if I was going to add personally one more thing, yeah, it'd probably be the accusations audit. If I was going to put one more on the list, that's probably what I'd choose. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. All right. So I'm excited about the next question from Adam because it speaks to a couple of projects I'm currently working on. So in a few weeks, I'm going to do something similar to this, but not a webinar with um, three very dear friends to talk about, um, you know, disabilities and, and body image, the idea of able body versus disabled bodies. And um, and I'm getting, frankly, to be really nervous. I've been feeling really nervous about that. And at the same time, uh, another project I've been invited to start a podcast, even though I'm the host, but it's really about and for childhood cancer. Um, it's called Hall of Champions. So I may be talking to some of the kids alongside their parents or parents who have lost their children. So in both scenarios, I am sweating up because I feel like I it's, it's so important to me as initiatives. But at the same time, what do I do in a situation where people are watching this? Uh, you know, I, I feel like maybe they feel like they cannot relate to me or something I don't understand that they're in this unique experience. Um, what can I do to relate and build rapport rather quickly and authentically? Yeah, you know, just start taking emotionally intelligent, educated guesses on how people are feeling. I mean, for, you know, that requires you to dial in. And that's the first thing that people want you to do is dial in. Um, you know, most, most people don't try to dial in. Most people start saying, well, I don't want you to do this, or you shouldn't feel this, or you should move on, or you, you know, should. You know, I, it's a shoulty world. If somebody uses the word should in a phrase, they just should all over you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you shouldn't be. It, you start taking good, solid guesses. What people are, are going through in all the instances that you're talking about it's some form of loss, which means grief. And with human beings, there's, um, there's a progression. You know, grief to gratitude, that's the healing process. Um, and some people think, you know, how, how, how the heck am I supposed to be grateful over this loss? Well, you're grateful, you're grateful that you had something to lose in the first place. You know, you're, you're, you're grateful that you knew the person at all. Like I'm, you know, I still, I still feel the loss of my father's death. I'm grateful for the time that I had with him. So when you begin to uh, interact with people, knowing it's some version of loss, you know, you got to say things like, it's got to be devastating. It's got to be a real kick in the gut. I mean, you got to feel isolated, alone, afraid, angry. You start looking for these, and then, then you as a person are all of us. The more able, the benefit for you here is as much for you as it is for them. You know, I, I saw something recently on called NED, Negative Emotion Differentiation. 
the more that you have the ability to call out the subtle shades and hues of negative emotions in other people and observe it and call it out, the more capable you are of dealing with it. It's one of the things that we're really getting turned on to recently, process of, of putting new material out between Brandon and Derek and I. The benefits to you of doing this stuff is enormous. It does, it does more for you than it does for them, and it does a lot for them. So the more that you work at it, the, the, more, the better off everybody's going to be. And there's a little bit of a, bit of a soapbox sermon there. Brandon, Derek, what do you guys think? I, I agree. I'm probably gonna it's probably gonna sound like I'm getting up on my soapbox as well. But especially when someone has in, has experienced intense loss, probably the worst response you could have to them is "I'm sorry" or "How are you doing?" Those are those are those are things people say often, but are probably some of the worst things you could say. Well, how does that benefit you as a negotiator? Well, you know that people are saying that to them all the time and approaching them with. I bet you're tired of people saying, I'm sorry, and asking you how you're doing. In addition to, I know this is, this is something that is inconceivable, right? All, all, the, all the examples that Chris just laid out, you can throw that into, and I haven't personally run into someone that's experienced a deep personal loss and led with that question, and it didn't immediately lighten the mood. They're all like, oh, yeah, I mean, everybody says, I'm so tired of it. I wish they would just, I wish they'd say nothing at all. Then, then follow with that. And so, you know, you can actually flip that to your benefit because, you know, the rest of the world is doing it. You can use it as an advantage. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest problems is it smacks of insincerity. When it's used over and over again, it's not authentic. And people know it. People, especially people who have experienced loss to that magnitude, they are hyper vigilant for inauthenticity mm. and it sets them off and what does that do for you Faye that puts you at a tremendous advantage because you're going to separate yourself out by just using those words in the manner that Chris talked about personally I liked when when you're talking about extreme emotional response phrases like punch in the gut stab in the back um, hit by a truck something that visually starts a movie to play in their head, it, you get more bang for the buck and you start to establish that rapport earlier, which will lead you to trust-based influence, which will get you where you need to go, get you the information that you need, get you to close the deal, get you the, to get the story, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. And uh, definitely it's a hot topic that's uh, occupying a lot of my mental space right now. And and, you know, sometimes we pick up these projects we're so excited about. And then again, as a woman to say, oh, am I inadequate? And, you know, how can I, I want to do my best and I want all these outcomes. But I also like what I'm learning from all of you is holding that space, is to pause, is to listen. Um, so, uh, so grateful. I know we have, uh, you know, about five, six minutes left. And there's one more question related to culture. Um, but also related to accusation. Again, it's something I feel like I need to learn more about. It's, we have a group of people very focused on this topic. So, um, so I, I, Ms. Silva asked, uh, in my culture in Brazil, accusation audit is usually perceived as a 
very annoying since they just want you to say what you want right away without stalling. How do I go around that? And I have to admit, that's not just Brazil. I've seen that experience in many different cultures. Well, a cu- couple of things. I'll add to this and I'll, I'll, throw it out. I'll throw it out to the rest of the team here. Um, we have found, especially when you're translating the accusations audit out of English into Portuguese, into Spanish, whatever, a lot of people mistakenly translated to, I don't want you to think, which is actually improper. You're supposed to, you should say, I know you think, as opposed to, I don't want you. And the, I don't want you is, is a denial. And so that's the first thing to be aware of. Is the translation the way it should be? And then the second part of it is, based on the culture, people that are just, time is money. I don't want to sit here and listen to you rattle on for 20 minutes. Give me what you got. Shorten your accusations on it down to what we would refer to as a cold read, which is simply one or two lines. And you can lead in with, I'm not going to waste your time. What I'm going to say next is going to feel like a punch in the face. And then lay it out for them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And the only thing that I would add to that is when you throw out your accusations audit, and regardless of culture, they tell you to stop. I don't have time for this. Let's get down to brass tacks. That's okay. Because the conversation now turns into the, the direction that you ultimately wanted to go anyway, and it's not your idea. It's their idea. And so what have you done? You've protected their autonomy because you didn't ask for the conversation to jump into the brass tax portion of the conversation. It was their idea. So getting them to stop you, to cut you off, that's great. Mm-hmm. I love how transferable these skills are because I've def- since knowing Chris, I've practiced those skills in China and uh, you know, I, where I live permanently here and it's for 20 years in Boston and people are like, you're so Americanized, but I try these skills absolutely works. And I already told Chris like immediately after our documentary of how I negotiated the budget, I was able to make this project a reality. So thank you so much for that. And I, I got to tell you, I haven't, you know, I spent a lot of time in New York City and Brandon, Brandon pretty much grew up there. And I, you know, I often wonder what's a more difficult environment where the people are crazy or in China or Boston. I think Boston. <laughs> Yeah, it's not untrue. Oh my God, it is a lot to deal with here for sure. Um, so one more question from Michael. Last question. I'd like to hear, I mean, his is last question. I have many more, but I won't keep you here forever. Um, is I love to, he said he'd like to hear real quick from each one of you guys, a couple of favorite lines just to toss out at any time. Some good lines that keep coming in handy. I'll go oh. first before these guys steal it. Yeah. <laughs> <you know. laughs> uh, nah, and, and it's going to be a label, right? Surprise, surprise. I love labels. And you can use this over and over again in every conversation you have. And that's simply, it seems like you have a reason for saying that. I will go next before Chris steals mine. <laughs> An accusations audit. Right before an ask. I'm about to make your day that much harder. I like that because as soon as I say that and I let it sit, followed by silence, their brain goes to the far end of the fear spectrum and they're imagining all of the worst case scenarios so that when I ultimately make my ask, it's a relief 
That's, a, that's all it is. And I'm more likely to get it. Yeah, you know, and I, I get a version of that I use a lot. I'm, you know, I'm a direct guy. You know, I think of myself as direct and honest and what the other people feel like is they're getting hit in the face with a brick. So uh, quite a lot, I, I will lead by saying, like, this is going to sound harsh. You know, it gives them the opportunity to brace themselves. And it's, it's amazing how resilient human beings are. If you give them just a second and a half two seconds to brace themselves. It's amazing what people can do if you give them a chance to brace themselves. Look at that. People are saying, oh, we got to do a part two of this sometimes. I love, um, I love all these questions coming in. And um, <laughs> could, <laughs> I'm reading this. Chris, I'm not sure if you could actually see what Jared uh, sent <laughs> for this one. Does sound harsh? <laughs> I, d- I don't even know how to say that myself. Um, so, well, this is, this is great, but I, do you guys have to bounce off? Like it's three o'clock. Do you have a three o'clock starting um, right now? Salsa red pearl. Yeah. How was that? <laughs> Sexiest color on the planet. <laughs> Jared is very happy right now. Very happy. Now, you know, I, I think we're probably, you know, the clock on the wall, I'm getting ready to turn it into a pumpkin. <laughs> I, I, first of all, I want to thank, thank all of you so much for your time. I seriously can't wait to do this again. If uh, I do have one more question, if you guys do have five more minutes to spare. Um, but for those of you who have to bounce off right now, this is a recorded session. It, we went live, but I'm, this is also um, webinar on demand. So I'll be sure to send all 40 people who signed up for this, um, a recording of this so you can watch. I'll be sure we're getting, uh, we'll be getting a transcript because I want to study a lot of these things um, for sure. So can I squeeze in one more question um, for myself? I think right. we got time for one more. Yeah. Oh, one more. Okay. So the, uh, th- this question, as I, I realized, is a lot of people since the pandemic, you know, some may pivot to, you know, teaching at the gym to teaching from home. But I've also noticed a lot of people pivot even more drastically across industries. And let's, for example, there may be doctors who are working at hospitals to now working from home or setting up their own practice. Um, One thing, Chris, I will never forget as we were sitting there talking, and you actually said it in my documentary, is you thought originally, hey, negotiation, this is so applicable, so transferable to business. But it's not always that apparent or always that easy. And this question is for everyone. So if someone is thinking about pivoting to a Jason possible or slightly different career route, what is the mindset? What are some things they can think about? What are your recommendations at a high level? I'm, I'm going I'm to start the answer. I'm going to probably ask Brian to add to it and, and Derek, obviously, too. But um, because I was thinking earlier, David, uh, our first hire... Uh, somebody into the company that we didn't have a previous relationship with, Brandon hired. Brandon hired Davey, our director of business development. She's a superstar, an absolute superstar. She's a millennial and a female, which means she probably starts out with lots of advantages. But the really cool thing about Davey was, it's it's, it's not relevant other than her experience. um, She's a Mormon. She goes on a Mormon mission in Ecuador. She didn't speak Spanish. And so they, she wants to get fluent in Spanish so she can be effective. And Brian, what did they tell her? It was going to take her six months to get 
to get conversational at least, right? Yeah, at least probably a year to be fluent, six months to be able to work our way through the city without any help. Yeah, so, but but in the process, they're saying, you know, candidly, you know, you're going to have to make 10,000 mistakes. It's this 10,000 number, 10,000 this, 10,000 hours, 10,000 mistakes. And uh, the person teaching her says, you know, you, you're going to make at least 10,000 mistakes before you're fluent. Mm-hmm. Davey's like, oh, well, I'll just make them sooner. Mm-hmm. So she went after it, not being afraid to fail, not being afraid to make mistakes, but actually looking at each mistake as a learning experience that would accelerate her journey. And how long did it take her to get fluent, Brian? Uh, as I understand it, she set a goal for herself of eight weeks to be fluent, and she was fluent in seven. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So, you know, the, the, the problem with pivoting is to be scared of making mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's what will stop you as soon as you look at mistakes as an opportunity to accelerate your journey. And by the way, so David goes down and she learns Spanish. She comes on board with us under Branded's tutelage. She's learning a black swan method. She reports back to brand after she's been with us for, I don't know, three, four weeks. She was like, you know, when I first started, it seemed like a lot of the people that called were jerks and there aren't as many jerks that call anymore. Because she's a learner and she got better. She wasn't scared of making the mistakes. Was, is, is, it, is that unfair, Brand? How did I do? No, I, yeah, I think that's extremely accurate. I think it's funny that she attributed to the environment changing around her as opposed to her adapting to the environment. It's very much her adaptation that changed the quality of phone calls that she was having. And then, you know, as we're talking about day, I'm a huge fan. You know, I, she's, she's my right hand, so I'm clearly a huge fan. But yeah, she learned so fast. I think within the first 45 days of her being in the company, she cut one of the largest deals since Black Swan's inception in 2010. And so she's, she's a sponge and she's just really absorbed this stuff very well. Girl power. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> hear that out. So I love, thank you so much for sharing this story. It means so much. And, um, you know, everybody's kind of, some people feel like they're in trenches. This is kind of unstable ground and uh, unfamiliar ground and, uh, super, super encouraging. I've seen so many comments just now to say, please have a part two. And, um, literally until three o'clock, we had still like 29 out of the 30 something people who joined. And, um, this is so wonderful. Uh, very inspiring indeed. Thank you so much, Chris, Brandon, and Derek, I am so excited. Um, Once again, Derek has a new book and I'm an audible person. So I highly recommend everybody to download this, get a hard copy, a huge, huge fan. And uh, oh yeah, exactly. It's poster right behind Derek as well. So um, I'm going to take us offline and, uh, you know, just uh, I can't wait to see you guys again. This is so wonderful. We love us some Fei Wu. That's right. That's right. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I am so, so happy you guys can can be here. Please let me know. Let, you know, people watching this and and let me know. I just include in a follow-up anything that we can do to help you guys, anyone, anybody who have uh, seen this, please let me know because I think that you've helped us so much and, you know, it's a two-way street, so. Thank you.
This episode of the Face Royal podcast is brought to you by Face Royal LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face Royal podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose DeLeon, transcript editor, Alina Ahmedova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Face World. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.